I'm going to start off this morning just saying a couple things to you, and we're going to move into Psalms 2, and we're dealing with the kingdom, and we're going to be dealing with the king of the kingdom and the place of the king uh, for the coming weeks. What what I, uh, I said to Brother Jackson a few weeks ago as I share in there, I said to them, I... Something like this. I don't want to just preach to you. I want to impart in you what the Lord has imparted in me. That's really what I want to do. Because it's life. So so just, just to come and get a lesson and say this is what we believe and so forth, that's not my objective. My objective is to impart something of God into you. Amen. The Lord was dealing with me so wonderfully last night. And in the coming weeks, what He was dealing in me, I, I want you to, to tell those that aren't here, your friends, your families, whoever you think this is necessary for, that... In the coming weeks, God is going to move in a way that your sin consciousness is going to go away. Hallelujah. Telling you that. Almighty that the conscience of sin is going to be no more. Hallelujah. The Lord was ministering so in me last night on the King and what He reigns over. Yes. That, that we, we, we talk about Jesus being King. But he's king of what? Right? What does he reign over? What does, what, what does he triumph over? What is he victorious over? So I really ask that you, you tell your families, you tell your friends, you tell your acquaintances, in the coming weeks the Lord is going to rid people of sin consciousness. Tell them that. Tell them that because it's going to happen. This word is going to affect people in a way that their conscience and mind of sinfulness is going to disappear. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? It's a pretty bold statement. But I was sitting before the Lord last night and I was just looking and looking and, and God was just dealing and dealing in me. And I was just praying, God, help me share this. You know, help me see this and help me help me have the ability to communicate. Because there there's areas in us that we we don't see, we don't comprehend, and we don't understand. And because we don't see it and we don't comprehend it and don't understand it, we don't walk in it. Right. See, see, there's way more to seeing and understanding the things of God than we than we probably think. Way more. Because if I don't see them, I can't walk in. Right. I walk in what I see. Amen. I really do. I walk in what I see. So if I have a limited vision, then I'm going to walk in limitation. Sure. That's the way it's going to be. Yep. So, so sometimes we think, what, what's the, the big deal of knowing all this Knowledge and understanding. The big deal is to walk in. Amen. 
in your own life. Yes, sir. For you to get a hold of it. And when you get a hold of it, to give it to someone else. Yes. That's, that's what the big deal is. Mm-hmm. So, as we look in Psalms chapter 2, verse 6, the Lord said, Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will tell of the decree Jehovah said unto me, Thou art my son, This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the nations for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve Jehovah with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath will soon be kindled. Blessed are all they that take refuge in him. <coughs> now, when I read this scripture, I have to come and put it in context. Okay? So if I take this scripture and put it in context, you know, spiritually it's speaking of Christ. Naturally, it's speaking of King David. Yeah. Yeah. So, so contextually, God set David as king over Israel. You know that? Yeah. And as the king of Israel, what did David do? He did something. He defeated their enemies. Yes, he did. So under, under David's watch, the enemies of Israel were destroyed. Okay? If you go read through the books of Samuel and Chronicles and Kings, you'll, you'll see the story of David. In fact, I was reading uh, from one writer. I haven't searched this myself, so I'm going I'm to preface it this way, and, and I think it's probably true. David is mentioned more than any person in your Bible, yeah. outside of, and I'm going to say outside of Jesus, because all the Scripture testifies of Him. Yeah. So when you come into the person of someone, so if God is the author of this Word, and He mentions David more than anyone else, then would King David have a little bit of significance? Yes, he He absolutely would. And see, David was a conquering king. And he represented God's king. So so what do I mean by this? And and you have to, and and I'm wanting to move forward, but but just to kind of set this forward, the Jewish people, and it's in in the book of Samuel, uh, wanted a king. So, so, the people of, of Israel wanted a king. Right. And in that, God gave them a, a king. The first king was King Saul. And Saul was a king of flesh. 
you go read the story of Saul and David, you'll see both men made natural mistakes, both of them. But Saul represented a king of flesh. He represented a king that, that Israel wanted of their own heart. And that's what they received, a king of their own heart, a king that, that would lord over them in the earth. And so God set that forth, and, and when he set it forth, he said something to Samuel. He said, listen to all that the people are saying to you. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 8. He says, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected. So Samuel brought this before the Lord that the people were crying out for a king. And God said to them, they've not rejected you, Samuel. But they have rejected me as their king. This is very significant. Because the, the people of the earth had a king. And here's Israel with the priesthood. I don't know that we fully comprehend that. In, in Israel, in the, in, you know, as they, as they had come into the land of Canaan, the land of promise, initially they had no king. They had a priest. But their king was Jehovah himself. Oh, yeah. So the Lord himself was the king of Israel. And what they had asked for was a king of flesh. That's what they asked for. To be like the nations. That was, yeah. that was their cry. And, and God granted it to them. God gave them what they wanted. Sometimes what we ask for, just a thought. We may really want something and God may give it to us. Yeah. And it may be our own desire. And it may not bear the fruit that we expect. Because we ask out of our own desire. We ask out of our own mind. We ask out of our own lust. Right. And so, so the children of Israel did that. But as time went on, God still had a mind toward what His purpose. God, God from the beginning has had a mind toward purpose. And till we see God's purpose, see, see we, 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 we don't understand God's mind until we see His purpose. So, so God's mind was to have a king for himself. Or actually for himself to be king. That was really his mind. But as he was bringing this forth, he brought forth a king in King David that was God's man. That's what David represented, was God's king. Now I've got a question for you, just just to throw this out. The Bible says in the book, I believe it's in the book of Acts, that, that David was a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? Have you ever really sat down and considered what God meant by that? If you look at David in the natural, if you read the story of David, you'll see he made many, many mistakes. Naturally. You, you read that, so you say, how was David a man after God's own heart? And I'm going to give you a couple of examples, and we're, go- we're going to move on. In, in, in David, one thing about David, if you, if you read the book of Psalms, King David wrote about 75 psalms. 
So about 75 of the Psalms were written by King David. So King David was continuously pressing toward the Lord. So, so his mind, his heart, his motives was to know the Lord. Alright? You come into... So when you read the Psalms, sometimes we don't think of this. When you read the Psalms and you see someone crying out for desperation or crying out that his enemy's not trying over him, you know, I know we all apply that to ourselves, and that's true, but a lot of those Psalms were coming out of the cry of David's heart. And if you go read the story of David, when, when David was anointed king and Samuel come down and anointed him the king of Israel, after that, David's world began to turn upside down. <coughs> yeah. Didn't, it didn't become all hunky-dory. So, 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 you know, he was just a young kid keeping sheep. You know, actually, when, when Samuel come to Jesse's house, Jesse didn't even think it was reason enough to even call David. Right. So he brought all these other sons, and when, you know, when, when the purpose came that, 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 that Samuel was looking for a son, you know, Jesse started with his firstborn son and had them all passed before. And God rejected them all. Yes. Because none of them were the one he was looking for. They weren't God's king. And Samuel asked him, don't you have another? Go read the story. Yeah. And, and yeah, we have the youngest out killing the sheep. Right. So they brought him in. And Samuel anoints him king. Now Saul's still king. So King Saul's still in authority. And so that's why I said David's world began to turn upside down because, because now you have King Saul and you have the heir to the throne. And the heir to the throne isn't one of Saul's sons. Isn't, isn't Saul's household. But it's, but, it's an, but it's another one that is heir to the throne, it being King David. And so, so what Saul begins to do, you know, when Goliath is slain, and most of us know the story of Goliath, or we should, when Goliath is slain by David, they, David comes after the slaying of, of, of Goliath, and the women start singing there, and they start singing that Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. And there's where David's world began to get rocked because all at once the praise of the people, they begin to exalt David higher than the king. And so Saul loved David on one hand. And on the other hand, he wanted to kill him. And you can go read the story, you know the stories of David, how, how, how Saul threw the spear a couple times to kill him in the palace and then Saul chased him throughout Israel, trying to hunt him down and kill him. And even David, twice I believe it was, maybe more than twice, but twice I know of, that King Saul was delivered in David's hand. And this is very powerful. David could kill him. And he touched him not, because he said he's not going to touch the anointed of the Lord, because he regarded Saul as God's anointed. But anyways, the story progresses. Eventually Saul becomes king. And the people of Israel come out to David. And he's anointed king again, and they call it, they say, We are bone of your bone. 
and flesh of your flesh. That the people become joined to David. Yes. And all this is speaking of, of spiritual significance. I, I quite honestly I wasn't going to go through this this morning. But but this, this this is necessary. So God has a vision of a king. And in that vision of the king, what one part of that is that the people would be joined to that king. So when David was set up as king, they cried out, But we are your bone and your flesh. We are joined to you, David. Yes. See, out of our hearts, we should have a cry. Lord Jesus, we are your bone and your flesh. We are joined to you. That should be in us. Amen. We are joined to you. We are one with you. As you will, so we will. As you do, so we do. As you speak, so we speak. We're yours. We're your body. We're, we're your mind. We're your heartbeat. We're your hands and your feet, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So be it with us. So, so we come on in David, and you know, and, and, and I, like I said, I didn't lay this uh, out to go necessarily this direction. It's in some of my notes, but. But David, the Bible, like I said, said he's a man after God's heart. What does that mean? Well, part of this is what I'm talking about. David has a heart for the Lord. In one place he come, and, and, and it, to me it speaks of self-deprivation uh, when he come and he just danced before the Lord. And, and, his, uh, and his wife there saw him uh, dancing before the Lord and becoming unseemly before the people. And she, and she said, you're the king, David. What are you doing? No, you, you basically you foolish man, you silly man. Yeah. You just show yourself. What that spoke to me is is just self abandonment. That that King David wanted to abandon himself to the Lord. Oh, so yeah. so again, that's part of being after God's heart. But yeah. really, what what it said, I could get into Bathsheba and, and the mistakes David made and so on and so forth because you look at them in the natural. And David sent down, uh, what was his name, Uzziah, to be killed. Of course, he, he faced a lot of consequences. Go read it. There's a lot of consequences came in the kingdom over that. Sure. But, but where he was after God's heart is that it came into David's heart to build God a house. That was really where he was after God's heart. And so uh, I think it's in 1 Kings 8. It'll tell you the story of that, of how that 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 was in David's heart that he wanted to build a house, a dwelling place of the Lord. And he said, "Lord, you have walked all this time in tents. Yep. So it become it become his mind that God, you've been in this tent, you've been in this tabernacle, and in the tent of David, in the." In the tabernacle of David that he built upon Zion. God, you dwelled in this tent, and here we are. In houses and structures. So it comes into David's heart to build God a house. That was where he was after God's heart, because that was God's heart. God wanted a house, a dwelling place. 
Yes. That's absolutely correct. He wanted a habitation. It's just understanding what that habitation is. So, so what did the Lord say to David? When they, you, you know what Nathan said to David? Nathan's probably like a lot of us. You, you, come, you come to, to, to the prophet Nathan. Nathan said, yeah, David, do whatever you think. Do what's in your heart. And old, old brother Nathan goes outside the door and starts walking out, what have you, and, and the Lord speaks to him. And he says to he says to him, you go back there and tell David, you're not going to build this house. Amen. So you've been a man of war. But the son that shall come from your vows, he's going to build my house. And see, see, and so naturally Solomon built that house. Solomon built that temple and set it forth in Israel. And there comes this glorious temple. And, and, and everyone that's a Christian should have read this. Should, should really look at it. This glorious structure come into being called the temple of God, the house of God, the residence of the Most High. Amen. That's where he dwelt. I know he filled the heaven and the earth, but he dwelled in Jerusalem behind the curtain. In the most holy place, in the holy of holies, he dwelled among the people. And everything there was so significant because it was speaking. It was speaking toward God's house, God's dwelling place, God's abode. And so, so when we read these scriptures and, and we lay out the history, and, it, and, and it's important to know the history, because, because without that foundation in our hearts, many times we don't understand what's the big deal. What's the big deal about the house of God? And unfortunately, when you mention the house of God to most people, unfortunately, it's the building they come to on Sunday morning or, or Wednesday night. Yeah. And there's not a lot of understanding about God's house. But God has set forth in His heart and in His mind a purpose to build a house, a purpose to dwell among the people of Israel. And that's what He told them. From the time He was taking them out of, out of Egypt, into Canaan land. He said He was going to bring them and plant them in the mountain of His sanctuary, of His dwelling. So it was in God's mind and heart from the time He was taking the people out to bring them in the land, to plant them in the place where He dwelt. And even, even Jacob, when he had the dream, Jacob's dream, what does he dream? He dreams that he's in the presence of Jehovah. And he says that in the presence of Jehovah, as he, as he wakes there, that this is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. Oh, yeah. And he's in the land. He's in Canaan. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, so God's mind was to bring the people into this place of, of His habitation. That was His mind. That was His heart. Now flip over to Psalms. 132, verse 11. 
Psalm 132, verse 11. It says here, Jehovah has sworn unto David in truth. Who swore? Jehovah. Who? Jehovah. Amen. He will not turn from it. So what's he not going to do? He's not going to turn from what he swore here. So he's not going to change his mind. And here's what he swore. Of the fruit of thy body, I will set upon thy throne. Who will? I will. Jehovah. So he says, of the fruit of your body, David, I will set upon thy throne. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them. Who's going to teach them? I shall teach them. Their children. Who will? Their children also shall set upon thy throne. Not only will God set there. Their children will set there. For, for how long? Forevermore. And here you go. For Jehovah hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for His habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. This is my resting place forever. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests also will I clothe with salvation. And her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There will I, and here's this I again, there will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall His crown flourish. So here comes into view God's desire. Do you see this? God desired, like, like, like we, we, we quote a Scripture, David was a man after God's own heart. What did God desire? God desired Zion for His habitation. So David's heart was a habitation for God, and God's desire was Zion for a habitation. Now I'm just going to, I want you to turn over to John 4. It's a very common scripture. I've actually taught on it the last uh, couple of meetings I had down at Jack's. But in John 4, and as I, as I say this, who is anointed king now? Jesus. Jesus is. Jesus is. He says in, in, in John, when Pilate asked him if he was the king of the Jews, he said, for this purpose was I born. And Luke tells you he was born. In Luke 1, it tells you that he was born as the king. And, and we're, we're going to get into that. But I want us to look at this desired place of God's rest. Desired place of His dwelling. God desired it. John 4. 
John chapter 4. We know the story. Jesus comes to the woman at the well in Samaria. And, And we sometimes maybe miss what Samaria represented. And I'm just going to throw this out kind of for history. We're doing a little bit of history today. Or a lot of history today. In Israel, after or actually during David's reign, but, but more so after King Solomon, the kingdom split into two kingdoms. You had the kingdom of Judah, and you had the kingdom of Israel. So if you read the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, it will go through the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. So Jesus came from which tribe? He was the lion of what tribe? Judah. Very important to understand that. Very important to understand it. Because when Jesus come on the scene, Judah was what he come to. He come to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in Judah. It was in the land of Judah. So here comes Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But But anyway, he comes... And he goes to a woman of Samaria. Well, guess where Samaria happens to be? In Israel. So even even when he says he has sheep, uh, you know, of another flock, of another fold, a lot of times we just apply that to the Gentile nation. And and I know that his salvation is to all nations. But what I want to say to you is maybe he was actually speaking because he came to the lost sheep of Israel. So maybe when he was talking about that other flock, he was talking about in some of the prophecies of, the, of Judah and Israel becoming one again. So he comes to the woman of Samaria, and Samaria was, was in Israel. And of course, if you go back and read your Bible, Israel was carried away by the Assyrians. Again, I was, I'll repeat this. If you read your Bible, you'll see this. They were carried away. They were dispersed through Assyria. So, so I would, I would believe this woman in Samaria would have actually been at least part Israelite. And, and there's something very powerful said here that, that has jumped out at me. I've preached it for years, but it's, but it's become so much more profitable than, or, or powerful than I've ever seen it. Profitable too, but powerful than I've ever seen it. And start at verse 19, and this is after Jesus has told her about her husbands and who she's with, it's not her husband. In verse 19, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. I perceive you are a prophet. Notice what she says next. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And we'll stop here for a minute. And we're going to continue on. So keep your finger here. When he came to her and asked her for a drink, if you back up into verse 12, the woman here said, Art thou greater than our father who? Who did she call her father? Jacob. So like I said, I believe she was an Israelite. Look who she called her father. Her father, Jacob. And she asked Jesus if you're greater than... Our father, Jacob. This is Jacob's well. So here, here 
she says to Jesus, back to verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And if you go read the story of Israel, you will find that they set up their own place of worship. You will find that the, that the king of Israel, and his name's escaping me right now, but when he first became king, when they split apart, he created his own, I believe it was Absalom, and he created his own priesthood, his own place of worship. He set up two golden calves for them to worship, and he told them, these are who carried you out of Egypt. Because he said, if they go back down to Jerusalem, they will attach themselves back to Judah, and I'll lose my authority and power, so I'm going to form them gods. So they begin to practice worship in in Israel. And notice what Jesus says to in Samaria, which was I believe it was part of the land of Ephraim. But nonetheless, you can go read it for yourself. She says, We worship at this mountain, and you say, notice this, you say. Who? You do. You you Jews say, because she's perceiving him as a Jew, because that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Where at? Jerusalem. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, this jumped out like lightning bolt to me. What did he say? Believe who? Me. Believe me. Man, that, that thing come out like like just believe me. Amen. The hour comes, cometh. The hour cometh when neither in this mountain, when neither in Samaria nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. So he tell a woman, "There's an hour cometh where, where neither here in Samaria nor in Jerusalem are you going to worship the Father. You're not going to worship Him there." And look what he tells you. He didn't say, oh, you go have your church up there in Samaria and we're going to have our thing down here in Jerusalem and we're all going to get along. He said to her, you worship that which you know not. You don't know what you're worshiping. That's what Jesus said. You know, they made these... uh, those uh, little bands uh, a little bit ago, what would Jesus do? He'd tell them you don't know where you're, what you're worshiping. <laughs> so he tells her, you don't know what you're worshiping. And he says, we, we worship that which we know. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Salvation's out of Judah. Jew, Judah. Does that make sense? Judah. Say Judah. Judah. Now say Jew. Jew. So can you get that Jew, the name Jew came out of a particular tribe, Judah. Judah. So, so he says salvation is of the Jews. And what's so powerful now? Who's salvation? Salvation standing in front of her and he says salvation is of the Jews because he is the salvation. Amen. And he says to her, he says, but the hour cometh and now is. When is it? Now. now. When He walked up on the scene, it became now. Yes, sir. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such doth the Father seek 
to be His worshipers. What does He seek? God, who seeks? God does. He seeks worship in spirit and truth. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, He that is called Christ, when He come, He will declare what? All things. And that's what He was doing. He was declaring it. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. Ethan, Ethan, shut the door, son. So, so here you have a woman at the well, and all, all at once worship comes into view. What what comes into view with worship? The house, the temple, the place, the place of worship. So, so Jesus says that no longer will the place of worship be in Samaria or Jerusalem. And He tells her to believe who? Him. If I could just stop right here and get believers to believe this, I'd probably hurt Israel's tourism. Because people, and, and, I, and I've said this before, I'm not against it, people want to go get on an airplane and walk where Jesus walked. And I want to tell them, well, you can walk where He walks now. You don't have to get on an airplane to go walk where He walks. You can walk where He walks now. And that's what I want to tell them. So, so if you hear this, he said, no longer are you going to worship the Father in Jerusalem. And, and I've heard, and, I, and, I, and it's been a while, I've kind of detached myself from a lot of TV ministry, to be honest with you. I listen a little bit, but not like I may have them one time in my life. I've heard some of them believe they're going to again start sacrificing animals. That they're going to build back the temple and they're going to start sacrificing. They're going to set back up the high priest. And, and I want to say, hmm, do you believe what Jesus said? He said, now is the time. The hour has come. So a new day had come because He was there. He was presenting a new day. He was presenting a new place of worship. And the place of worship was spirit and truth. Now flip back to me, to Isaiah 2. And I told you out of Psalms that God desired Zion as His place of worship. Isaiah chapter 2. And I have to constrain myself, Bob, because I see some of this and, I, and I, I, this is a saying I used to have. I just want to come right out of my skin and preach. So I have to constrain myself. A little bit. Isaiah 2, 1 says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He saw it concerning who? Judah and Jerusalem. Again here, who? Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the latter days. Latter days of what? What did he see 
it concerning Judah and Jerusalem. See, see, we Christians, we read this, and we say, well, it's going to come to pass in the latter days. And we're talking about somewhere in the future. But Isaiah was a, was a prophet to Israel, to Judah. And he says that he saw a word concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of Jehovah's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above all the hills and all nations. No longer just Judah and Jerusalem. No longer just Judah and Israel. But all nations shall flow unto this house, and many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of Jehovah, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, if you read this and you come back to John 4 where we've been looking, here's Jesus establishing a new place of worship. A new place of worship. Because He tells her, neither here, nor, neither here in Samaria, nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father, for God is a spirit. So I would suggest to you that Mount Zion is spiritual. I would suggest to you quite strongly that it's spiritual. Absolutely. That what does what does Isaiah say? So the house that God is going to construct, God begins to, to speak through Isaiah. He says so many powerful things through Isaiah. But Isaiah twenty eight, he says, Behold, I lay. Who lays? I lay in Zion a stone, a tried stone, a chief cornerstone. I'm laying the stone. So, so God's people, and I don't mean this wrong, God's people don't even understand, many of God's people don't even understand the place of worship. And I don't mean that wrong. That, that this house that God was building is the place of worship and is His house of habitation. Amen. So if I don't understand God's house, if I, if I go on being ignorant, and I can choose to be so. See, I can choose. This, this, this is a choice you have to make. You really do. Because I can choose to say I'm going to church and walk out of church and feel like, well, you know, I went to church today, praise God. And many, many people do it. But it doesn't bring the peace, the joy, the righteousness, the love, the kindness, all these things that you're really after. And it's not going to. It, it, it's locked out of it. So, so I have to come to understanding. I mean, God wouldn't have written all this word about His house if it had no value. He would just say, well, just go build you some places of worship. I'll put my name on it and come in and set it up. And I was going to be mean and say, feed them some crackers and wine and move on. Oh, Jesus. 
Jesus. Well, no, no, no. This is so significant because God desired Zion. So when Jesus says, no longer in this mountain nor in Jerusalem, he was speaking of the mountain of the Lord. He was speaking of Zion, that a people was going to flow. And I love that word flow. That nations are going to flow unto it. They're going to flow because it's going to come out of God. And they're going to flow under this understanding. This mountain of the Lord. And see, when you come over to Hebrews 12, flip over with me to Hebrews 12. And and this should just speak volumes in your heart. Hebrews 12. Verse 22. But you are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God. You are come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable host of angels. You are come. See, 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 Jesus made it now. He says, now the, the worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit. So this is so important to understand, to get in your spirit, to hear it, to walk in it, to share it. You're, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are enrolled, King James says, written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speak of better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not when they refused him that warned them on earth, much more shall not we escape who turn away from him that warneth from heaven. So, so this, this coming to Mount Zion, coming to the place of worship, coming to God's house. Behold, I lay in Zion. What? How did I get to Zion? Because God laid a stone in Zion. A tried stone, a chief cornerstone. How I got there is I'm built up in the stone. Flip to Ephesians 2. See, we, we, we've been taught this for years, so we should, we should know it. We, in fact, most everybody here should be able to teach this. Ephesians 2, what if God, what if God raises up Darlene and says, Darlene, go teach this. He'll equip you, but what if he does? Ephesians 2 says, Sure. But you have to receive it. The point, the point is you have to receive it, Calvin. So God says, so the word says in Ephesians 2, So then you are no more strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And of the household of God. What are you of? You are of the household of God being built 
Where are you built at? Upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom each several building, or in whom you are built up, fitly framed together, grow up into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. My Father, yes. So, so here's what's in Zion. Here's God's rest forever. Here's what's there. A habitation for God. Remember we start off and we start off uh, sharing that David was a man after God's own heart and David desired to build God a house, a dwelling place. And if you and if you go back and look at your Bible over and over again through Exodus and Deuteronomy and so forth, God is bringing a people to Himself. God is bringing out a people to, to build them in to a house. See, the glory of Mount Zion is that the house God is building isn't made with hands. I can't make this house. I can't construct it out of wood. I can't construct it out of stone. I can't construct it out of metal. But it's built through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Oh, yes. And it's built for a purpose. What's the purpose? The habitation of God. By the Spirit. God has chosen Zion. This is His rest. How long? Forevermore. So God wants a people to understand this. He really does. I'm telling you strong by the Spirit. You can, you can test this, but I'm telling you strong by the Spirit. It is God's mind that you understand it. It is His mind. See, Mount Zion's where He called the blessing forevermore. Do you know that? He said, here will be the blessing forevermore. So if I don't understand Mount Zion, that may mean I'm not walking in the blessing of God. doesn't mean the blessing's not in Christ, but it may be that I'm not walking in it. I'm not aware of it. You know, you know how many Christians aren't aware of God's blessings? I'm not aware of it. Well, if I'm not aware of it, again, I'm not walking in. And, and I can use I can use Calvin for an example. Calvin understands a little bit about plumbing, so he can walk in it. Right? He can go out, and what I mean by walk in it, Calvin can go out and execute the office of a plumber in the earth. 
and do something with plumbing that in a few minutes that may take me two days. Because he has an understanding of how it works. So there's that understanding in the natural that, that's applied to us in everything we do. Like, like what, what job you do. If you're a cashier, a simplest, what we call one of the simplest job, you understand how that cash register functions. Right? And so as a cashier, you understand what's in the drawer, how to lay out the drawer. You take somebody that's never done it, you say, here, go do it. I don't even know how to how to open the drawer. So so see see this this is this I I I, I this is so strong this feeling that's here this morning to understand. Give yourself to understand. Oh yes. See see when this understanding really gets in you, I, and I don't mean this I don't mean this wrong, but when this understanding really gets in you. You you won't want to sit under, and I don't mean you won't go to services. I don't mean I I, I'm not, I would never tell you where to go and not to go. That's not my heart and mind. But when this understanding gets in you, you won't want to sit under some something that's teaching less than this. Amen. And it's not that that the person teaching is bigger or greater. It's the understanding of the Lord. So when a measurement of the understanding of the Lord comes, you, you want that understanding to, to not only fill you up, but you want it to begin to fill up others. Amen. Why do I want that? Because it produces fruit. It produces nature. It produces God's character. It produces joy. It produces deliverance. God's people are in a warfare with sin, and Jesus defeated it. You realize that? Yes, sir. But if I don't understand, he defeated it. And and I come into a place and they say, Well, I fought the devil all night last night. I'm I'm just sharing with you. What that produces many times is that'll produce that in you. You'll go out and fight the devil or think you are, whether you are or not. So, so instead of saying the victory's been won, instead of realizing the king and his kingdom, you'll talk, you have language. And, I'm, and, I, and I'll probably erase some of this off this recording if I release it at all. But... You'll, you'll, instead of talking about the King that has come to sit up on the throne of your heart and to bring you, did you read that? Jehovah said, I'm going to come of, of the seed of David. I'm going to sit up on his throne. And he said that his, the children are going to sit up on the throne. Not only is he going to do it, oh, yeah. he said the children are going to. And what does Paul write? You are seated together with who? With Christ in heavenly places. What does, what does the Bible say of Christ that sits in heavenly places? In Hebrews, what is it? Chapter 1? Thy throne, O who? O God. O God is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness. 
he brought you into his victory. Yes, my He didn't just do it for himself. He did it for you and me. That we would be victorious in the earth. That we wouldn't have to wrestle all the time and fight all the time. I'm not saying, you know, Apostle Paul deals with, with warfare. Spiritual wickedness in high places. So I'm not telling you there's not any. But but I'm telling you we should have an understanding of how to defeat it, how to walk over it, how to tread. Jesus said you'll tread up on scorpions. Did He not? Why? Because He has all authority. So, So we don't even understand much of the time who has the authority. Jesus, I, I was listening to someone, I, I think it was the other night, he was talking about Jesus as the King of Heaven. And I would say to him, no, 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 he's the King of Heaven and Earth. Oh, yeah. You won't leave him in Heaven. Why don't you bring him to the Earth? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where at? In Earth. In Earth. Where's his mind at? In Earth. See, see, that thing has to get in you. That No, he raised from the dead. He said, all power is given to me in heaven. No, no, no. That's not all he said. He said, all power is given to me in heaven and, and in earth. So it's God's mind that his power is executed in the earth. How's it going to be executed? You! Look at each other. Amen. 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 You execute what he's done. My Lord Jesus. My Lord Jesus. You share with what he's done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see, 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 that's what has to come. That. Not only do you share, you want to share. They're coming to you a desire to share with what He's done. That's what's got to come into us. As far as the recording, I'm going to turn this off right here, but I'm going to minister to you for a moment and we're going to be done. The, The 